It was shared earlier by Jillian that today is the 10th anniversary of September 11th. And I did want to mention a word or two before, I, before we jumped in. Um, just a quick question. Is there anybody in our church today who lost somebody as a family member or knew somebody because they were a family of a family member, that type of thing? Anybody in our church? Does this tragedy hit anybody personally? Okay. Okay. Um, for those of you sitting in front, nobody has raised their hands. What I did want to do, though, is to pause for a moment and, and think about that um, day 10 years ago. But more importantly, address it, obviously, from a Christian's perspective. And the person that captured the best way, I think, what our response ought to be was by a, a Methodist bishop named William Williman. In an interview with Christianity Today, this is what he said. He said, American Christians may look back upon our response to 9-11 as our greatest Christological defeat. When our people felt vulnerable, they reached for the flag instead of the cross. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because what it is, the proper Christian response to 9-11. For some, it became, let's become even more sort of American. Let's become even more patriotic. Nothing wrong with that. But for some, that became the focus at the cost of what does it mean for us to belong to another kingdom, to be citizens of another kingdom, to owe allegiance to another kingdom greater than just the country that we live in. Amen? For others, it became, let's become even more hostile towards people of other faiths and become even more sort of isolationist. So we've got Christians who are persecuting Muslims in this country. And it plays right into what non-Christians, the people of the faith, perceive Christians to be. I wrote this little article piece for a friend of mine, Ibu Patel, and he kind of posted on some, some website, and it was in response to interfaith a movement, interfaith action. And, and this is what I said. I said, my, my Christian response is this. My Christian response on one hand is, I do not, I do not in any way back away from my firm belief that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And that there's no other way to God but him. I stand on that. I will never compromise on that. And then the world automatically says, see, see, that's the problem with Christians. That's why you become judgmental. That's why you become critical. That's why you become sort of legalist. That's why you persecute others. And this is what I say. I say, on the surface, when somebody says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, on the surface, people go, of course, he would make you self-righteous and judgmental. But then we as Christians say, what? We go, look deeper. Hey. Come a little closer. Come a little closer and take a look at who is hanging on the cross. Come a little closer and look at the person that's hanging on the cross. And what do we see on the cross? We see the Son of God on the cross dying, bleeding for who? For his enemies. For those who hate him. And if as Christians... If we have taken into the depths of our soul this Savior, the Savior dying on the cross for his enemies. If you're still, as a Christian, judgmental, self-righteous towards people of the faith, you may know a veneer of Christianity, but you do not know the essence of it. You do not know the Savior that hangs on the cross, who says, forgive them for they know not what they do. I hate the word tolerance. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. People call it religious tolerance. Let me tolerate. Can somebody please show me where in the Bible Jesus said, blessed are those who tolerate <laughs> one another. What did Jesus say? Greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for another. We as Christians on this day remember our response is not tolerance. Our response is 
radical love. So if you struggle with that, welcome to the club. I struggle with it too. I mean, I have a, time, I have a hard time not getting angry and forgiving the guy that cuts me off on the street, let alone my enemies. Are you kidding me? Let's remember, folks, on our 10th year anniversary, then maybe what will give greater witness and power to the Christian faith in this country is more Christians who are saying, Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. And yet, humble, gentle, pouring out his or her life in sacrificial service for the Muslims, for the Hindus, for the atheists. Amen? The other thing about 9-11, and we're jumping in, we're kind of turning the corner if you're wondering. The other thing about 9-11 that, 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 that I am reminded of and why I'm a Christian is this. No, actually, let me begin here. I grew up in Korea, many of you guys know, and for whatever reason, I didn't grow up listening to fairy tales. Fairy tales are new to me. I'm learning these fairy tales as I read them to my children. They're really cool. I'm, I'm actually very entertained and engaged by these fairy tales. And even as a 41-year-old adult, I'm engaged by these fairy tales, by these, by these stories that tell of another world, an enchanted world, a better world. You guys know what I'm talking about? Another world without evil. Another world where evil will not win and ultimately good wins. Another world without suffering and injustice. And these fairy tales are told over and over again that, that, that make us think and hope for another world, a better world. And the really good fairy tales are the ones that not only tell of these stories, but they have this ability to tell these stories and make you think. And that world is not that far away. It's pretty close. <laughs> so you walk into a wardrobe and you're in Narnia. You walk through a forest and you stumble onto a cottage with seven doors. The best fairy tales that capture imagination are the fairy tales that make us believe not that there's just a better world out there, but that the world is not that far away. But really good fairy tales are not just about transformation of the world around us, but they're transformation of who? The characters, right? So the frog turns into a prince. Or the ugly duckling turns into a, a beautiful swan, right? And the little marionette, wooden marionette, turns into a, a little boy. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like reading a fairy tale together, so we kind of have this moment together this morning. Now, here's the cool thing about fairy tales, you guys. The gospel says this. The gospel says there's a lot in common with these fairy tales that make us believe and hope for another world. Even as grown-up adults, the gospel says you have much in common with these things except one big difference, and that is what? The gospel is true. It's true. Jesus comes, and what is his message? His message is the kingdom of God. Jesus' message was none other than this. And if you're not a Christian man, or you've been a Christian, and you've been away for a while, you're coming back, the message that Jesus proclaimed was none less than this. There is a better world out there. There is another world out there that is free of evil, that is free of injustice, that is free of suffering. And that world is not that far away. Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is near. It's near. That world that you and I dream of. We have pictures of 9-11 we go, God, is there, will ever be a time where we would never, ever have to see that Again, and God came proclaiming a world saying, it's coming, and it's a lot closer than you think. But this world, Jesus said, is available to anyone. Not just the religious, not just the spiritual. He says, you, you can experience this life. You can enjoy life in this world now. And just as he is one day going to transform the whole entire world, he is going to transform you and me into a glorious creature. 
Now, if you think I'm just making this up, brief review, okay? Let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says. I want to introduce you to a very familiar word, palingenesia. Oh, but before we do that, before we do that, back up, please. I want to show you guys the definition of the gospel that we use in our church over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And we talk about the gospel, we meditate on the gospel, we preach on the gospel, okay? We pray over the gospel. The gospel is, and we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, and kind of, you know, work through this throughout this sermon series and in the weeks to come. The gospel is the good news. It's news, not advice. That through Christ, the power of God's kingdom has entered history to renew the whole world. When we believe and rely on Christ's work and record for our relationship with God, and here is his work and record, he lived the life we should have lived, fulfilling the law and accomplishing all righteousness on behalf of sinners who have broken God's law at every point. And he died the death we should have died, atoning for our sins, satisfying the wrath of God, and obtaining forgiveness for all who believe. When we believe in that, that kingdom power comes upon us and begins to work through us. And in two primary passages in the New Testament that kind of are bookends, Jesus talked about what this is going to be like. First is Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. By the way, do you guys believe in life verses, memory verses? Yeah? You should have one. And oh, by the way, 90% of us, life verse, memory verse, it's some sort of promise or something that comforts us. How's this for a life memory verse, okay? Try this one. Therefore, truly I tell you, Jesus, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Can I introduce you to a word? Palingenesia. I know this is a review some of it. Pal- Everybody say it with me. Ready? Palingenesia. One more time. Ready? Palingenesia. What is that? Palingenesia is a Greek technical word and literally meant regenesis. The Greeks at this time believed that the world, the entire world, was just getting worse and worse. It was, down, it was spiraling downward towards disarray and decay. And so once in a while, the entire universe went through a process of cleansing, purging, purifying. And because they believed that history was cyclical, not linear, they believed that every once in a while this would happen over and over again. A fire would come down and would purge, cleanse, renew all of creation, and everything would be reborn, remade, made whole. And Jesus takes this word that everybody's familiar with, and he takes it a step further. He says, at the renewal of all things. What was Jesus saying? If you're a Christian, this is what gives us hope. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, at the end of all things, here's the end of history. Not, the trumpet's going to sound in rapture. Woo! What about the non-Christians? I don't care. I'm going to heaven. So long, suckers. No, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is the end of all things. It's what? End of all things is that God is going to come in his rule and reign, and he is going to renew and restore all things. And what fire could have the power to do that? Jesus says, when the Son of Man sits on the throne, when the kingdom of God comes upon you, when the rule and reign of God is established on all of creation, everything is going to be remade, everything is going to be reborn. Is that good news? Is this, why, this is why we are people of hope. This is why on 9-11 when people go, why are you a Christian? We can say, Palagenesia. What the heck are you talking about? Let me tell you. The end of all things. This is what God has planned for us. The good news that Jesus Christ came preaching was the kingdom. And that this world as we know it is not the whole story. Jesus died and rose again so that all of creation would be restored, redeemed, made again. And Jesus said, this world is a lot closer than you think. It's not that far away. Because it's not only coming in its fullness later, it's already here. There's a future and a present aspect to the kingdom. The kingdom of God, you've heard me say this before, embraces time travel. No, not that you and I are going to be whisked into the future. The future is coming into the present now. Oh, jeez, Louise. I missed you guys. (laughs) I did. I missed this. I missed this. Titus 3, Jesus says this. You're going, well, how does it apply to me? Check this out. This is, this is why you have hope that if you're an ugly duckling, you can be a swan. <laughs> Any ugly ducklings? I'm seeing for myself. Oh, come on, come on. Let's just pull down our masks and go, this is me in all its glory. You're going, wow. Wow. 
This is why you and I could have hope. Listen to what Jesus said in Titus chapter 3. He says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Same word in Matthew 20, 19, 20, the same word. He, 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 washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So what Jesus Christ is saying is, the power that's going to cleanse you into the whole world the glorious rule and reign of God that's going to redo him all things, the entire creation. That sucker is coming into your life and my life right now. That's what happened to you when you became a Christian. But I thought I just prayed a simple prayer and I asked Jesus into my heart. Yeah, you did. And when he came into your heart, Palangenesea happened to you. The rule and reign of God that is going to redeem and renew all things, that came into you. So here's the thing. Christianity, you've heard me say this before again and again, it's not about moral reformation. Christianity, God did not save and redeem you so that you become a nicer person, a better person. Christianity is about total transformation of you and of me. But not even God can change me. I've got issues. Yes, we know. But when you say not even God can change me, you fail to recognize what happened to you when the rule and reign of God came into your life. Oh, Lord. Think about you right now and going... That struggle, that temptation, that issue, that I don't, I've been struggling with for years, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how this becomes a reality. But you need to know one thing and one thing right now. God did not redeem and save you so that you could become a better version of you. God redeemed and saved you so that you could become a new creature in Christ. I know you don't believe it yet. That's okay. That's why I got to preach the sermon series. The cosmic power of God that's going to renew all creation has come into your life and the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why there's a longing in all of us to change. Anybody here going, I don't, I don't want to change. I have zero desire to change. Really? Why do you go to the health club? Why do you go to therapy? Why do you get yourself in small groups? Why do you attend improvement seminars? Why do you listen to more sermons? There is a deep yearning in all of us, doesn't it, that says, I want to change. I want to be different. I want to be more like Jesus. Anybody? 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 Yes? Yes? That, that echo is a tiny echo of the longing that God has to redeem the whole world. That's why you have it. This is why Christianity at its essence is a faith about hope. Evil will not win. Injustice will not prevail. Death doesn't have the last word. And you will not be you forever. Oh. Is this too much? My God, this is what happens when I come and preach. It's like, it's like people drinking out of a water fountain, you know, out of a fire hydrant. Isn't it? Isn't that what it feels like right now, right? It feels like? You expected it? Okay. <laughs> the possibility of transformation, you guys, is the essence of hope. This is the reason why the single belief most toxic to any relationship is this belief that the other person cannot change. If you're in a relationship and you think that person will never, ever change, that belief is toxic to that relationship. And guess what? God looks at you and he goes, oh, I know you're going to change because I'm at work. God's never going to give up on you. He's never going to give up on me. God is never, ever going to give up on you. He is never going to give up on me. He's not surprised by your unbelief. He's not surprised by your discouragement. He's okay with it. You know why? Last time I checked, he's a lot stronger than we are. A lot wiser. I want to to show you some scripture passages, actually, that says, hey, guys, check this out. 
we actually expect you to grow. Check this out. I'll just put them up there, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Our hope is that your faith continues to grow. Ephesians 4, 15. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together grows and builds itself up in love. Colossians 1, 16. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all the truth. Colossians 1.10. And we pray that in order you may live a worthy, life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing and more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Christ. To Him be the glory now and forever. And I could go on and have some more, but what's the message? Grow. grow. Well, here's the question. Are you growing? See, this sermon series, really, it's for people that want to grow. And I say this like I, 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 in all sincerity. If you're sitting there going, I have zero area in my life that needs to grow, really. I would beg to defer, but, but if you're sitting there going, oh, Peter, I've been a Christian for, I, I don't know, in my life. Huh. Oh, the issues, if you just knew are the areas of my life that's capable of evil and sin. Oh, if, if only the temptation that haunts me over and over. My marriage, it's marriage by name, but I read this quote by Richard Foster, and this is another way to look at it. The desperate need for today is not for a greater number of intelligent people, which there's a lot among here, or for gifted people, which there's a lot among here, but for deeper people. This sermon series is about this. It's about growth. It's about maturity. It's about growing up. It's about depth. It's about the question of, listen, I'm not asking you, are you busier? I already know that. I'm very busy for the Lord. Thank you. I know. That's not about maturity. I know a lot, Peter, about the Bible. I'm, no, that's not. My spiritual devotions are really good. No, that's, the question is things like this. How is your character? The question is, is your love for God increasing and your love for people increasing? Are you growing deep? Are you maturing? Are you growing up? Just on a side note, can I just say this? <laughs> Uh, there is a lack and in, 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 in a, in a, in a vacuum for this in the church today. A lot of my friends are really discouraged because people are leaving their churches. Why? Because they're saying, I'm not fed here. I don't get fed here. I hate that term, fed. What does it mean? Can I just tell you something? The jobs of the pastors is not to feed you. Our job is to teach you to feed yourself. Many of you are like spiritual bulimics. You starve yourself all week and then you show up on Sunday going, Ah, feed me! I'm going to say this gently. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow. I'm talking to myself for some. It's time to grow up. Noah's one. He can't continue to drink milk the rest of his life. He can't continue to... Open your mouth, Noah. Come on. Some of us are like, I need you to feed me. And you know what that means? Tell me another story. I love stories. Tell me another story, Peter. My job is not to feed you. My job is to teach you to feed yourself. Amen? You guys, maturity, depth, it's time to grow up. All of us. It's time to grow up by going deep. Part of the problem is our gauge is off. How would you answer this question? Quick. How is your spiritual life going? How's your spiritual life going? And what do you think? Immediately some of you are like, spiritual life. Okay, I haven't done my quiet time in like a month. It's going pretty bad. I haven't read the Bible. I'm like, it's got dust on it. Going pretty bad. 
I've got that thing. We think, how's your spiritual going? We think spiritual disciplines, prayer, quiet time, devotions. The Bible has a whole different way of gauging how's your spiritual life going. And Paul paints a picture of this. Now, what I'm going to talk about today is giving a general overview of where we're going. This is where we're going to wind up. But in the passage we're going to look at today, Paul talks about how it is that we can go deep and grow up and what it looks like when we go deep and when we grow up. Okay? Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Again, this is just an overview. It's not going to answer every question. Just an overview for the rest of the sermon series. Okay? So we're going to go ahead and start, paint a picture, a trajectory of the journey, if you will, about where we're going as we go on the sermon series. Going deep. A journey of transformation. Galatians chapter 5. Here we go. So I say, live by the Spirit. Or some of your translations say, walk according to the Spirit, which I kind of like better because of the imagery. Walk according to the Spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? You need to memorize this definition because this is going to be talked about over and over and over again. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my entire being. How are we doing? Are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you walking according to the Spirit? And check this out. Paul doesn't say, hey, by the way, this is for the charismatics among us, the Pentecostals among us. He doesn't say this is for the super spirit. He says what? For everybody. But I don't even know if I believe in the Holy Spirit. Paul says, well, then you better get going on that because Walking according to the Spirit. It's a command. It's for everybody. And then he gives a promise. And I love this. I love this. I love this. I love this. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Some of you chance they say flesh. You know why I love this? Here's my Christian life for many, many years. The aim and objective of the kosher life is to not walk according to the flesh. Aim is get up each morning and try really hard to not sin. Anybody? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Anybody? Is that what, right? We get up in the morning and our whole life goal in the Christian life is to not sin, to not do the wrong thing. So what do we do? We get up, we go, I got to stay away from that. I got to not watch that. I got to And so at the end of the day, we sort of go, I didn't say that, didn't watch that, didn't do that. And so therefore, I think I did okay. And the whole premise of the Christian life is to not walk according to sinful nature, to not sin. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. We said even in the Bible. He says the aim and the goal of the Christian life is this one thing. Learn to walk according to the Spirit. The goal of the Christian life is not to not do a number of things. The goal of the Christian life is learn to do this one thing. To walk according to the Spirit. So many of us are consumed and focused on what not to do. The other week I was on a treadmill, you know. And I was looking at the next channel, you know, you know, like you're watching your own thing. The next channel, there was this thing. And, and, and I was like, and what happens? I almost fell off. Why? You know this. What you focus on, you what? You drift towards. So if your whole focus of Christian life is to not do this, to not do that, to not do that, inevitably, you're going to drift towards. Some of you are there right now. The sum total of your Christian life is to not lust, to not sexual morality, to not lie, to not treat. That's your whole Christian. And at the end of the day, you go, didn't do, didn't do, okay, I, I, I think I'm okay. And the Bible says, man, if that, is the, if that is your approach to the Christian life, if that is the approach to your Christian life, look, as we learn to walk according to the Spirit, this is so powerful. The net result and the outcome is not only will our behavior change, but our desires will change. Our desires will change. As you learn to walk according to the Spirit, sin begins to look bad and God begins to look real good. It's not this tug of, I don't, I don't want to do that. I can't do it. It's this one of, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is written on my heart. Not only does your behavior change, but your desires begin to change when you learn to walk according to the Spirit. Can I just say this one thing? We'll move on. The essence and the aim of the Christian life is not elimination of desire. Oh, good Lord. Again, me growing up, desires are bad. 
All All desires are bad. Eliminate the desires. Repress the desires. And you will have success in your Christian life. You know what the Bible says? The problem is not that our desires are too strong. The problem is our desires are too weak. It's what C.S. Lewis said. We desire to play in the mud pies when what's promised for us is a holiday by the sea. The problem with us as we learn to walk in the Spirit is not, my desire, God says, your desires for the weak, trivial things of this world. He says, look up and desire the greater things that can quench the deepest parts of your soul. Learn to walk according to the Spirit. The answer is not try harder. The answer is not rededicate more. The answer is not make a deeper, stronger commitment. The answer is even, even get up earlier. I got to get up at four in the morning. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around you at four in the morning. Not even Jesus, right? That's how he is with me. We get up at four in the morning. I'm like, I'm irritated. I am miserable. Sleepy. I hate doing this. So this must be God's will for my life. Anybody? Any, come on. Anybody? That's our perspective. I hate it. I'm miserable. This must be God's will for my life, or this must be spiritual, because I hate doing it. Where do we get that from? <laughs> Learn to walk according to the Spirit, and God says, not only will you do the right things, but you will want to do. Would you want to be that? I want to be that. I want to do that. I want to live my life like that. I want to get up in the morning. And it's not this tough. Okay, let's go on. I'll show you. Verse 17. For the sinful nature desires which is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And what he's talking about there is a tension that you and I all know about, which is what? You face something and you go, oh, I'm a Christian. So I should do what's right because I'm a Christian. And if I don't, it's sin and it's disobedience. So I should do what's right. But I really want to do what's wrong. I really want to do what's wrong. So he's a tension of, I should do what's right, but I really want to do what's wrong. But I want to suck it up and do what's right anyway, because I am a Christian for crying out loud. And Paul says, if that's your dynamic, I know there's like two of us that can relate to that. If that's your dynamic, he says you lose every time. Here's why. If you face temptation, you go, I should do what's right, and I'm going to just do it, right? If you don't do what you should do, you wind up not doing what you should do, which is sin, disobedience, right? I know, Nathan. Did you get that? Right? So you don't do what you should do. But then even when you do what you should do, can anybody relate? There's no joy because you didn't really want to do it. Anybody? Anybody? And Paul says, if you live in that tension of dynamic, you lose every time. Why? If there's no joy in obedience, you're still enslaved. Can I give you an example? Singles in our church. I have have some singles that are very honest and say, I just want to have sex. I'm X amount of years old. I just want to, I know what scripture says. But I just want, I don't care anymore. I just want to do it. And so here's a single person going, but I'm a good Christian. I'm a good Christian. I'm just not going to do it. And you're miserable. And you're angry at God and other people. And so even in your victory, there's no joy. Because their sin has ruined your joy. And there's resentment. Do you know that's not the life God plans for you? Do you know that? God never intended for you to go, I'm going to do what I should do even if I hate doing it. God says, spiritual growth happens when your should do becomes a I want to. Spiritual, look, huh? should do as a motivation will never reach, never go far. Look, should in a dynamic, look, I should have gone to my dentist like eight months ago, but I haven't. And my teeth are going to start falling out. No, it's not. But a should in a relationship, the people that are around me that love me, they don't want me to be around them because I should. They want me to love them and be with them because I what? I want to. 
If your whole approach to your Christian life is, I should, I should, I should, that will not get you very far. That should at some point needs to be replaced by, I want to. I tell you guys all the time, I don't have to kiss my wife. I want, I get to kiss my wife. <laughs> Can I ask you something? How many of you sitting here today, your spiritual life has been, I have to love God. God's looking at you today saying, I want you to. I desire to. And when you begin to walk according to the Spirit, God says, His commandments make sense. They appeal to you. And you don't just do the right things, you become the right sort of person. This is my goal in life. Somehow diffuse and correct this error that Christians are joyless. Suck it up and just do what God says, people. Where do you see that in the Bible? Jesus never talked about it that way. Listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom. This is hilarious. Well, not really hilarious. But look, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And as Jesus is telling this, he's not going, and the kingdom of heaven. He's, he's going, listen. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and covered out. Then, in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had, and he buys a field. Did y'all get that? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of pearls, who on finding one of great value, he went out and sold all he had and bought it. Jesus says that when you understand the kingdom, people understand how good God is. They come to want him, to desire him. Old Testament equivalent book of Psalms. I desire to do your will, O God. Delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see. Taste and see. You realize taste and see that the Lord is good. That's an experimental word. Taste. It's from a confident chef, right? Matt, come here. Why don't you taste this? Why? Trust me. <laughs> do I have the whole thing? You don't have to eat the whole. Just taste. Just taste. Why? Because I know, once you get a taste, you're going to want the whole enchilada. God says to you, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hey, is that what your relationship with Jesus looks like today? And don't fake it. Please don't fake God out. Let's be really honest here this morning. Let's be really honest here this morning as you stand here. Does this characterize your relationship with Jesus? Or is it one of, I should, I ought to, I have to, I'm a good. (sighs) Going deep. Growing up. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The verse literally means, but if you're willingly led by the Spirit, that is, we don't just grudgingly obey, but we desire to obey Him out of love. I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is written in my heart. By the way, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives you the want to. We're going to talk about this more. By the way, I've been reading through the book of Galatians and like listening to it online. By the way, for those of you that are like having a hard time focusing, concentrating, reading the Bible these days, you know what really helps? Go to BibleGateway.com on, 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 on your, uh, whatchamacallit, internet, <laughs> okay? And they have, sorry, they have, they have like somebody like reading the Bible passages. And he's got like this phenomenal, very like, very like, charismatic voice and you listen to it i'm like oh but anyway you listen to it you read scripture it helps it helps. that's all i'm saying galatians galatians but this is what he's saying he says you can obey the law and still be under the law many of us are obeying the law and still under the law what does it mean here's what it means to obey the law and be still be under the law why do you obey motivation why do you obey because i don't get punished you're under the law because i want to get blessing from god you're still under the law if i don't obey he'll get me you're obeying the law, but still under the law. What does it mean to obey the law and not be under the law? Motivation. Why do you obey? Not punishment, consequences. I obey the law because look what he's done for me. Look what he's done for me. 
How can I not obey? How can I not live my life out? How can I desire, taste, and see, delight in the one who did that for me? I don't have to. I get to. I don't have to. I get to. In the next passage, Paul gives us two lists. And this is, by the way, where we're going. And these lists, by the way, are not lists of things to do and not do. People look at this and go, okay, I don't want to do that, can't do that, don't need, I'm not, I'm a good Christian, I don't do that. Paul says these things is a vivid picture, a result list, inevitable result list. This is kind of, you guys, this is sobering. Listen, listen, there's only two paths you take. Listen, there's no third path. He says you walk according to your sinful nature, you walk according to the flesh, we'll, we'll talk about in the upcoming weeks, and this is the result. Or, or, there's no middle ground, or you walk according to the Spirit, and this is the result. You have two paths, Okay? We're going to focus on the fruit of the Spirit this morning and just give an overview where we're going. But I want to give you a picture of what happens when we fail to walk according to the Spirit and walk according to the flesh. This is from the message translation, Galatians 5, 19. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. By the way, can I just, uh, this is a little, little drop, little, little drop hint of what's coming. My sabbatical, you know what the big insight for me was? 11.30 at night, my wife and I are sitting in our bed, and God had been stirring in my heart, and I share with my wife what's been going on. And my wife looks to me and says, Peter, you are the most self-absorbed person I have ever met in my entire life. To which I said, it takes one to know one. No, I didn't say that. 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 See, that's my flesh, that's my sinful nature, which we'll talk about, which we'll talk about, which we'll talk about, okay? Some of you that were dozing off, now you're back, right? You're back. Oh, my gosh. Did, did the pastor just confess that he is the most self-absorbed person in the whole world? And I am telling you today, yeah, yeah, that's what my wife said to me. Men, you need to find wives like her. Women, you need to find men who you can speak truth like that to and receive it. I got to tell you, it hurt like crazy. It was about two months into my sabbatical. And I knew, I knew, I knew. Why? Because every day the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and saying, you are self-absorbed. You are self-absorbed. You are self-absorbed. And I'm going, devil, get away from me. That's not, God's going, that ain't the devil, my child. You know my voice. You know my voice. Don't be blaming that on the devil, okay? Get off of me. I know some of you are like, that's the devil speaking. No, no, it wasn't the devil. It was the Holy Spirit speaking. Do you know why I say that? Can I tell you something? I don't care what your struggle is. I, I do care, actually. I don't... I, I do care, but here's what I meant to say. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you struggle with today. I, it doesn't matter what kind of vice, what kind of sin. The essence and the fountain from which that flows is the fact that you are self-absorbed. You're self-absorbed. You want to see what happens when we're self-absorbed? Here it is. Paul gives a list. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All the Asians just kind of put their head down right now going, oh my gosh. This one, yeah, yeah. All consuming, yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a revival uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. And Paul says, I could go on, to which I was at this morning going, please don't go on, that's enough. This is what happens 
when you and I walk according to the flesh, or to use very plain language, we live our lives self-absorbed. And Paul says this, he goes, you don't want that. To which we're like, what? I, I, don't, I don't want it. I'm there. That's me right now, Peter. You just painted a picture, actually, of me. That's, that's me. I don't want. He says, there's a different path. He says, you walk according to the Spirit. And look at what the fruit is. Let me tell you what, where God wants to take you. Verse 30, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness. It's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. Here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. I'm going to give a list of diagnostic questions. By the way, I was really struggling with that. Diagnostic questions. Is that an accurate term for sort of like, so how are you doing? Yes? That's what I should have said. So how are you doing questions, okay? Here's the first one. Ready? Would you say that your life is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Because if you, you know, just to be clear, if you're sitting there going, I don't need to listen to the sermon series, I don't need it because you know what, I'm the, would you say that your life is characterized? In, in case you're going, what do they mean? I'm glad you asked. Here's what they mean, okay? Real quick. By the way, at one point, we're going to spend like one week on each of these. Love. What is love? Serving the needs of other people for their sake, not yours. Two things. That means if you're growing in love, hey, you don't give up on people. How many of us, I, I, I get, oh, I'm through with her. I, I'm through with her. Anybody say that this morning? Oh, she is so, he is so needy, I can't take it anymore. I'm not home. Tell him, I'm not home. I'm not home. <laughs> oh, I can't. One more, I can't. How can somebody take advantage of grace like that? I would never take advantage of grace like that. Really? Okay. If you're growing in love, it's not some conceptual word. You never give up on people. Secondly, you don't base your relationships and who you connect with based on what they can do for you. All the relationships out there, mutually beneficial relationships. Hey, can you help me advance in my career? Hey, can you help me get into my social circles that I want to? If you're going in this love, you serve people that can do absolutely nothing for you. Question, how many people in your life right now that you're serving that can do absolutely nothing for you? I didn't have to look very far to see where I was self-absorbed. My relationships, every single one of them, based on what can they do for me? Love. Joy. What is joy? To delight in God for who he is in himself and not for what he gives you. If you're growing in joy, you're somebody who is very even-keeled emotionally. Why? Because your joy is not found in circumstances, what's going on out there. It's found in the consistent, stable presence of who? God. And he never changes. So you're not up one week and down another. Up one week, down another. You are even killed emotionally. Can I tell you why this is so important for me? Can I tell you why joy is so important for me? Because the scripture says, joy of the Lord shall be my strength, right? That means joylessness creates weakness. You are most vulnerable to temptation when you lack joy and there is soul dissatisfaction. When you're starving, everything on the menu looks really good. Even stuff that you would get grossed out by mostly. You're like, oh my gosh, that looks delicious, really? You hate Brussels sprouts. Oh no, I'm starving. Soul dissatisfaction, joylessness makes you vulnerable joylessness. That's why the Bible has so many commands to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Joylessness. The joy, the more joyless you are, the more vulnerable to temptation you become. How many of you, honestly, come on guys, oh, masks off, masks off. How many of you are sitting here today going, joy, I am joy impaired. 
because my husband, because this is why the Bible says rejoice. Joy is your responsibility. It's not your husband's. It's not your kids. It's not your work. It's not even your boss. Joy is your responsibility. Amen? Rejoice. The Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Not yesterday was a good day. I was able to rejoice then. Not tomorrow will be a really good day. And I'll be able to today with all the shortcomings is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today with all of his shortcomings. Have people go, how can you rejoice? It's 9-11, man. I mean, all the suffering, evil, injustice in the world. You know what I found? I found that people who are closest to suffering have the deepest appreciation for joy. Have you noticed? Do you know why? Here's another phrase that I just bothers me. I just want to be happy. If the aim of your life is just to be happy, you'll never be happy. Do you know why? Joy, happiness is a byproduct of something, not the end goal. This is why people who pour out themselves and acts of service to others, joy. And joy in this world is not dependent on, it is joy despite. It is joy on the face of. Why? Because every single day you'll be faced with something. And the only thing that's going to remind you this day with all of its shortcomings is the day that Christ has redeemed. He has given me life for crying out loud. I can breathe. My kids, my wife, my friends, my community. I have these wonderful gifts that I don't deserve. I will rejoice today. This is the day that the Lord has made. How many of you are sitting around waiting? Well, when I graduate, I'll be joyful. Well, when I, when, I, when I marry somebody, I'll be joyful. Well, when we have kids, I'll be joyful. Well, when they leave, I'll be joyful. And then you're sad that they left. Like, what's that all about, right? What do I mean? If you wait for joy to come upon you and zap you, you're going to wait until you die. You're going to stand before your Savior, and he's going to go, what the heck was that? I was waiting for things to turn around. What? Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Okay, I got to go through this. Patience. What is patience? By the way, you guys, we're going to cover these one week at a time, okay? So I'm just giving you snippets. Patience. What is patience? Confidence and rest in God's wisdom rather than your own. That means if you're growing in peace, you become less and less anxious over time. Peace doesn't come from looking for lakes with no storms. Peace comes from the fact that Jesus is in the boat with you. Don't be walking around going, well, if I just find circum- you know, at the right job. And circ- Jesus says you'll wait forever. He's in control. You're not. And that's okay. Peace. Patience, ability to suffer trouble without blowing up or giving up. Stability to suffer and even to be wrong without melting down and without becoming bitter. By the way, if you're going, am I going in patience? Don't just think about, you know, in line at grocery store. Here's the opposite of patience, right? Is resentment towards God and resentment towards others. Question. How resentful and how easily do you get resentful towards God, towards people? Kindness. Kindness is compassion that offers true friendship and not just help. Obviously, kindness, opposite is self-absorption. Obliviousness to the needs, of hurts, needs and hurts of others. Goodness is honesty, transparency, being the same in all situations. Someone who is growing in goodness is someone who is not the same with one, someone who is the same with one group as with another. You're the same as you're in public as you are in private. You don't say one thing to one group and say another thing to another. You're not always trying to spin everything. Next, faithfulness, loyalty, and courage. To be principle-driven, utterly reliable, and true to your word. Gentleness, humility, blessed self-forgiveness. It's not worrying about how you look or how people are treating you all the time. I, uh, I struggle with this a lot. And you know, I hide this. <laughs> I go, I don't care what anybody thinks. Really? You do care, Peter? Yeah, I do. A lot. Yeah, a lot. Self-control, to master our emotions and desires rather than allowing them to master us. Diagnostic question. In light of all of these things, are you growing more easily discouraged these days? Are you growing more easily irritated these days? 
at the core of a healthy spirituality, you guys, is the love of God and the peace of God. And if peace is growing in me, I'm not that easily discouraged. And if love is growing in me, I'm not that easily irritated. Would the people who know you best, your spouse, your friends, would they say that you're becoming a harder person to discourage because you're getting happier? Would the people who know you best say that you're increasingly becoming a harder person to irritate because you're becoming more loving? Diagnostic question. Would the people who know you say you're increasingly becoming a harder person to embitter because you're becoming humbler? Are you a humbler, happier, wiser, more patient, less anxious, more peaceful person than you were two years ago? Question, how well do you handle suffering? Question, how well do you deal with unanswered prayer? Nothing is more telling on whether you're after God or after God, gifts of God than how you handle this. You don't have to look very far. See Christians, how they, they respond to unanswered prayer, and you know if they're after God or after the gifts of God, right? Because if you go, I'm done, I'm through. This isn't working for me. Christianity will only work for you if you serve God whether he works for you or not. Question, how well do you deal with criticism? You've heard me say this before. Someone who's being transformed by the gospel, they're not defensive. They're not overly sensitive. Why? Because you realize the gospel says, I am more wicked and sinful than I dared believe, but I am more loved and accepted than I dared hope at the same time. So when somebody comes and picks out flaws, your response isn't, Who, how dare they? You go, oh man, I'm so thankful that's all you know about me. I'm so thankful that is all you know about me. Because if you really knew, thank you. They'll be like, I just criticize. I know, thank you. Diagnostic question. Last one, I promise. How easy, is it, how easy is it for you to apologize? I did a lot of apologizing during my sabbatical. I did. I had to call up a lot of people. You know why? You walk only in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you very sensitive to like, you offended her. I did? Yeah, yeah. And you also have security though. Like, okay. But my identity isn't based on what they think of me. Because it's based on Christ. So... I receive it, and I'm sorry. And your image isn't shattered. Your ego isn't destroyed. How well? So, uh, fruit of the Spirit, so good luck. Try really hard. Get up at four in the morning tomorrow. Rededicate one more time. To which you're going, oh, whoa, 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 no, 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 I don't have what it takes. I can't do that. You can't, that, I can't do that precisely. Can we all agree to that? Can we all agree to that? We can't do this. We can't pull this off. I don't care how you pull your boots up. We can't do this. We can't. I mean, one or two of these, our day is ruined. We can't do this. So what is the key? I'm not going to just leave you hanging. What is the key? You know what the key is? The gospel says transformation is possible. Do you know why? Do you know why? Here's what it says. I'm going to leave you with this. First Peter chapter 2. You grow up in your salvation. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Do you know why the Bible says grow up in your salvation? Do you know why it says that? Here's what the amazing truth of the gospel is. The Bible doesn't say, hey, love, joy, peace. I don't have that. that. The Bible doesn't say, hey, grow up. Hey, these are some foreign objects that are out there that are totally foreign to you. So go and import them because you need to be more joyful. You need to be... That's not what the Bible says. You ever see a 12-year-old kid with like size 14 shoes? What do we say? We go, oh, <laughs> he looks goofy, but he's going to grow, in, grow into them. Let me leave you with the gospel. Good news. Here's what the Bible says. The astonishing things the Bible says should be true of Christians is in a sense already true of Christians. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, is that good news? 
It is amazing news because we're not sitting there going, I don't, I'm not loving. I got to try. I don't care. I can't be loving, joyful. I got, the Bible says this is not about importing some foreign objects that are out there and you need it. The Bible says these things are already true of you. So the question is, hey, man, how, how, how can you get these things to be more part of you? The question is, hey, man, when are you going to grow up and be the real you? Because did you know? They're not just in potential, but in seed form, you've already got this love in you. I do. You've already got this joy in you. I do. I'm joy impaired. We know. Patience, you've already got this. I have. Divine nature and seed form is in you. And the Bible says, when are you going to grow up and be the real you? Let me leave you with Soren. As in Soren Kierkegaard, who said the title of today's message, with God's help, I shall become myself. Is this good news? Is this good news? Journey, here's where we start. You have to be brutally honest. You have to be brutally honest. No more masks, no more just faking it, no more, like, you have to be really honest, as in, as in, as in, you need to be able to so those of you, confess to those in your community group or people in your small groups. You need to be able to say a hard conversation with them. And you need to ask them and go, I need you guys to tell me, am I? Am I displaying? Am I living out the fruit of the Spirit? And if not, please tell me. Will you give somebody permission to do that? Carlton, come on up. We're going to end. Bow your heads with me. Bow your heads with me. I leave you with this. You need to know. You need to know that the essence of Christianity Christianity is hope. You need to know that when God created you, when God formed you, when God redeemed and saved you, you need to know this. You need to know this child of God. You need to know this. The very characteristic attributes of Jesus, the likeness of Jesus, that was implanted in you the day, the day, the moment that he came to reside in you. We are not talking about you trying really, really hard to be something you're not. The Spirit of God has come into you. May his residence in you. And he says everything that should be true of you is already true. So if your relationships stink, your marriage is in trouble, there's a temptation that you're tired of struggling with, lack of love, lack of joy, lack of love for life, for God, and you're despairing and saying, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. great news of the gospel is he's already done the most important work and he is with you and he is for you so this time before the choir comes and closes us in the final song and we're going to sing Lord I give you my heart I want to give you guys a minute or two not long just a minute or two to be really, really honest with God, to be like bluntly honest with God, to be brutally honest with God about the state of your relationship with God today, right now. He already knows. You don't need to fake him out. He already knows. He knows exactly where you are. He's not going anywhere. He is not going anywhere. He is with you. Pray to him. Just pray to him in the next minute or two. 
no fancy words, just an honest, God, this is where I'm at. God, I don't, I don't desire you, but I want to. God, I, I don't love you, but I want to. God, I, I'm self-absorbed, but I want to be God-absorbed. God, I, I want to love people like you would have me love them, but I can't right now. Will you give me if I want to? Will you give me if I want to? The journey is starting. Don't despair. This is what God has for you. This is what God has for me. It's to be men and women of love, of joy, of patience, of peace, of kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He dreamt that up for you before even the day you were born. And he finishes what he started. Is that good news? That is great news. And Lord, as we go forth this day, we pray and ask God that throughout this week, you Holy Spirit living inside of us would speak would convict would teach make us sensitive God and dependent on you show us what it means to walk in accordance with you help us to be men and women who reflect this kingdom hope that this world as we know it is not the end but a real world of transformation and of hope of love justice and peace is right around the corner because Jesus died and rose again. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He goes beside you. Child of God, go forth in that assurance. And all of God's people said, Amen.